Welcome to The Technology Pill, a podcast that looks at how technology is reshaping our lives every day and exploring the different ways that governments and companies use tech to increase their power. My name is Gus Hossein, and I'm the Executive Director at Privacy International. And I'm Caitlin, and I'm PI's Campaigns Officer. Hi. This week, we're talking to Daniel Magson, an eating disorder and mental health activist and chair of Anorexia and Bulimia Care, a UK charity which provides personal care and support for anyone affected by anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, and all types of eating distress. And he's been campaigning to stop advertising that targets eating disorders. And we're also joined by Eva Blume Dumonte, PI's senior researcher who has been working on diet companies' treatment of data. It's a little sad. It's the last time we get to say that about Eva, because uh, sadly yeah. she's leaving us after all these years. How many years has it been? Like five? Oh God, no, eight, seven or eight. Wow. Yeah. So my name is Daniel Magson. I am the chair of a national eating disorder charity called Anorexia and Bulimia Care. But outside of that role, my day job, I work um, as a digital fundraiser for a international federation for multiple sclerosis. Welcome to the technology film. It's lovely to have you here to talk about advertising really and diet ads. So in your role as chair, what are your guys' main concerns when it comes to this kind of advertising? What are the diet ads that we're here to talk about? In terms of the diet ads that I've seen, it grew from a personal experience. And up until this year, my focus has been very much for my own individual experience until I merged the campaign with one of the values of anorexia and bulimia care, as they were just starting to use their voice and campaign in this space. But I can give you a bit of history. It might be quite long, though. (laughs) That would be brilliant. Yes, please. Okay, cool. So I lived with bulimia for 10 years. I developed bulimia when I was 16 years old. I had lots of things going on like any other teenager. I had been bullied for a long time for being overweight. I had just started to accept my sexuality. And unfortunately, both my parents were diagnosed with cancer all coming together around my 16th birthday, which was a great present. Um, And unfortunately for me, uh, the way I dealt with a lot of this stress and complications is that I developed bulimia. Of course, I had no idea about it at the time. This understanding now has come from years and years and years of therapy uh, and being involved in the eating disorder space. But Fast forward 10 years of battling bulimia, I finally started my own recovery journey. And through that journey, I reached out to Anorexia and Bulimia Care, which is the eating disorder charity that I now chair. They put me in touch with my therapist. She was amazing, sorted me out, well, gave me the tools to sort myself out. And yeah, I've started recovery. Um, And in that time, anorexia and bulimia care said would you like to be our media ambassador and I said absolutely not I'm (laughs) northern I mumble and I don't want to talk about my eating disorder and then like eventually I thought do you know what well it actually came out for an experience at my old school and just so happened through work went back to my old school as a fundraiser for a charity that focused on loneliness in older people 
I was doing a presentation on that and the host of that like assembly noticed that I was involved in anorexia and bulimia care and asked me to share my experience. So I did and I was approached by one of the school students afterwards who told me that she was living with an eating disorder. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't, she had no help. And I gave her all the tools, but I realized at that point that I, I felt like I wasn't doing enough. I felt like there were still people who still had no idea where to turn and felt alone. And that I had the ability now to do something more with my eating disorder and my recovery. So I decided to be that media ambassador, which is great. And it led to lots of amazing opportunities and documentaries. And in the summer of 2019, I think it was now, I had just been working on a BBC Free documentary for the first time ever. I was promoting it online through social media. And like up until that point, I didn't really pay much attention to adverts. Like I noticed them on YouTube and on Instagram and on Facebook, but they were usually related to like cheese, drag queens, travel, or um, I don't know, some sort of like weird dinosaur game or something like that online. But as soon as I started promoting and the fact that I was doing this um, eating disorder documentary and that I was involved in that space, overnight my adverts all changed to diet adverts to um, these apps that I could upload an image of myself and then give myself muscles and a flat stomach. It was teeth whitening, teeth realignment, spine realignment, vitamin pills, protein shakes, ads that told me that I could make money by losing weight. And it was on all these platforms, um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, on Twitter, on websites. And it just blew up like literally overnight. And it really shocked me at first. And I decided to try and track it. Um, and I was on holiday at the time. So I spent basically my holiday just thinking like, what are all these adverts and just looking at them all. And by the end of my holiday, I just got so angry because it had taken me a long, long time to recover from my eating disorder. I realized from recovery that, do you know what, I'm going to have to live with this forever. And it's going to be a daily, I'd say more like a daily mindfulness journey for me. It, it wasn't a struggle. It's something that I had to always be aware of. And in that process of being aware, I had to safeguard myself online and in everyday life. But in particular, through social media, I made sure I didn't follow certain things. If someone started promoting like diet pills, I stopped following them. I created a safe space for myself. And all of a sudden, through no nothing that I could control, that space had been like intersected with these horrible adverts that really, really messed me up. Like that holiday of looking at them all, I came back and I was struggling with body image again. I was worried about dieting. And I felt like it had really triggered me in so many ways. And when I got back from that holiday, I said, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to launch a change.org campaign. And, you know, I'm not a campaigner. So my original tactic was, I'm going to launch a petition and then the government will hear about this and they'll change everything. <laughs> Which, of course, it doesn't work that way. And so I launched my change.org petition. And as I said, I'm not experienced in petitions. So I just said, I don't like these adverts. They're really dangerous. And um, here's the ones that I got. The government should step in and do something. And to be fair, it kind of worked for a while. I got a bit of attention. And then all of a sudden that attention disappeared. But as I said before, what stemmed these adverts and this switchover of adverts for me was working with the BBC. So 
I reached out to some of my contacts there and I said, this is what I'm experiencing. They got in touch with loads of different platforms like Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And all of them basically came back and said, no, he's wrong. You can't target people who are impacted by eating disorders. So then I took my eating disorder hat off and went into my day job where I'm a digital um, fundraiser. And we um, use all of these advertising platforms to advertise our fundraising campaigns around the world. So I have access to them all from my day job. Because my day job is in multiple sclerosis, I know in a lot of conditions and disease areas, you cannot advertise certain products at them, that a lot of these platforms have a ban. So I knew from that that there was a way of doing this sort of targeted adverts, because if there wasn't, there wouldn't be a ban. So anyway, I just tried to set up some of the adverts myself, and I realized that you could target anybody impacted by eating disorders so if someone was searching for eating disorder help you could target them if somebody was following a eating disorder helpline you could target them if somebody was typing in any keywords or searches around suicide you could target them it was unbelievable i mean on google's advertising platform alone there was tens of thousands of keywords relating to eating disorders that you could target So I did that report. Again, the platforms wouldn't listen. So I went back to the BBC and they actually put their digital team behind it. And they actually ran eating disorder adverts through the BBC and social media accounts through Twitter and realized you could target people with eating disorders. Finally, Twitter listened because it's the BBC and they apologized, said they were allowing that and they were going to stop. So that was Twitter done. And it sort of sidelined me away from the government part of my campaign. And I focused a lot more on the platforms. So I did more media, teamed up with various different teams who were investigating this from Sky to like local stations. I did a big campaign with like a few radio stations across the north, in particular in Manchester. And they reached out to Google and Facebook again. Both of them basically came back with responses saying that I was making it up and I was misinformed. Didn't know what I was talking about, even though I literally had screenshots of their advertising (laughs) platforms for them. And they just wouldn't budge until last year when Instagram um, released an apology and said, yep, these sort of adverts are happening on our platform. We're sorry about it and we'll stop it. And then Facebook still denied it, even though you advertise on Instagram through Facebook. So by Instagram admitting it's there, um, Facebook still uh, clearly do allow it. But they won't budge. And that's when um, Privacy International got in touch with me. And well, you guys kind of opened my eyes to this idea that there's another way of going around this and that there's a bigger issue here. And you have amazingly introduced me to the Advertising Standards Agency. So hopefully something can happen there. But I have just teamed up with some other petitioners who are focusing on social media filters, teamed up with my charity because they're just going through a new strategy on advocacy So I'm working with the eating disorder APPG. I I don't know why I went down the government route. I don't know anything about (laughs) politics. Uh, And I'm teaming up with a few other voices and MPs uh, who are focused on this. So then hopefully I can reignite the campaign and um, 
finally changed Google and Facebook, which are now my number one enemies in the world. <laughs> um, that's everything, I think. Sorry for talking so much. <laughs> no, it's amazing. And Facebook have gotten in trouble again recently with the whistleblower being like, yeah, Facebook's internal research shows it's actively damaging for young people's body image and, and mental health. So it's like, clearly they know and they have their mm-hmm. own internal research. They have screenshots. Instagram have said, yep. Yep, that's on us. So that's fun and horrific. So our research looked more at the ways, well, my understanding of our research, which is dumb because Eva can explain it, but looked at the ways that advertising companies then kind of the next steps, like what they use people for. (laughs) Yeah, so actually it's really interesting to hear what Daniel is saying about his own journey because when we started looking into diet ads, we very much knew that this wasn't an environment that had been looked into already, that had been regulated. Like for me, it's quite new to approach sort of a topic and realize that, for example, well, Instagram had rules against like advertising for like diet products for people under 18. Facebook's also had all sorts of regulations around, for example, like you can't use pictures of people, which is why so much of like the ads marketing sort of diet products or diet programs will use drawings. The reason they use drawings is that they're not allowed to use pictures that might be misleading. So this is why they fall back on little like silly drawings. And so I realized, yeah, there there, there were all sorts of those existing regulations, but I was quite curious to see what things are like in practice. And the reason, you know, I wanted to look into this, but most of my 20s, so about 10 years ago, I I would get, you know, on a a daily basis, I would get access uh, to those ads. And I, I didn't realize why I was getting those ads, but... As years passed, you know, those ads became sort of like more and more rare for me. But, you know, they were always in the back of my mind that it was quite significant for, you know, a young woman in her 20s to be constantly targeted with this idea of like ads constantly sort of pestering me about my weight. And then I was following a conversation on Twitter among a group of privacy activists who were talking about this and who were talking about what well, one of them was suffering from eating disorders and uh, was talking about how horrific it was to still be constantly pastors with those ads. And I realized, okay, well, I'm lucky enough that for some reason I'm not targeted as much anymore for various reasons, but clearly this is not a problem that has disappeared for most people, maybe for women in particular, but definitely for people suffering from eating disorders as well. And I suppose like from my experience at PR and my understanding of how the ad tech industry works, I could kind of like imagine what were some of the patterns. Like, for example, I could see how people who suffer from eating disorders, for example, might be looking into things like, you know, the number of calories in a certain food and how merely just you know doing that kind of search could trigger all those companies into targeting you because they're like well if this person looks into that kind of like data clearly they are more likely to maybe fall prey to this kind of ads so you know i wanted to understand okay so who are the big players like what are the patterns we're noticing so i did something very simple which is like hey, 
you know, let's call those guys. So essentially what I did is I turned off my ad blockers and I did a very simple search. Like once in Google, I just type like weight loss. And so for the next couple of days, I was going to be targeted like every day with those ads. It was as simple as that every day, like on any YouTube video I was watching, I was suddenly getting those ads again. So I was like, okay, well, they're back and they were back pretty quickly. And, you know, we we looked at the three top ones that emerged from Google search, from YouTube, the one that I was most exposed to. And what surprised me is among those companies that were sort of the most prominent is that they all offered me to do tests, to basically create a profile of me, of my eating habit. And they're like, based on this test you're going to fill, we're going to be able to find the perfect diet for you. And obviously with my sort of like privacy hat on, I was like, well, that's interesting because like what kind of information are they going to try and collect and what's going to happen to it? And so this is where things started getting really interesting because there's essentially sort of like three different patterns. At the the core of all of them, they are doing those quizzes to sort of hook you in. So that once you start answering question, you know, you're more likely to also give them your email address, you're more likely to buy into their products. Uh, some of them are just essentially asking those questions just because so they get, can get your email address, they can sell you the products and you have the feeling those questions you've answered are uh, going to be relevant to the product you get, even though like in many cases, you know, it won't affect like the product you're getting is exactly the same, however you answer the question they ask you. But we had one company, I I can name the company, right? Go for it. (laughs) One company called Noom that's very well known in sort of the diet program industry that was asking, you know, a wealth of like dozens and dozens of questions about extremely sensitive information. A lot of this would fall into sensitive personal data or special category data based on the legal framework in your country. And by that, we mean health data. So they'd ask you, do you suffer from diabetes? Do you suffer from depression? Do you have a history of medical issues in your family? Uh, There was a sort of a very in-depth dive. Like, what do you like to eat? What time do you eat? Do you snack between meals? But also like, you know, your blood pressure, all sorts of things that you know, would be extremely sensitive and would normally require from the company that's collecting such data to be taking extra step to handle this data because this is sensitive information. This is not information you should just be asking people randomly. And so for us, the next step, once we had realized those patterns, was like looking into what happened to this data. And so what we did was what we call a, a traffic analysis what we call like a man-in-the-middle attack to your own sort of network. So we set up an environment where we can monitor what comes out of our computer when we enter this data. Where does the data that we enter go? Hi, it's Caitlin from the future. What Eva's describing here is our dynamic interception environment, which is a tool that allows us to analyze the data that apps and devices are sending out. Keep an eye out. In December, we're going to be releasing the updated die which is the worst acronym in the world on github along with relevant documentation and how to's if you're interested in using it in your own work what we noticed for example for noom at the time is that 
all of the information we had entered were shared with a third party called Full Story. And so not only wasn't there like, you know, a special care being taken to protect this data, but it was also shared with others. We noticed that some of them might have made the information accessible to Facebook and Google. Not that there's necessarily like an active decision to share this data with them, but just because they failed to properly secure how the data was uh, was going through this data would have de facto become accessible to, to Facebook and Google. Well, to give you an example of that, essentially one company, what they were doing is all the data you were you would enter were going straight into the URL, which is simply just not necessarily an attempt at like, you know, sharing or selling the data. That's just like poor practice when it comes to security of the data. But what we noticed as well is that you know, as we were, again, not so much from the traffic analysis, but as we were attacking those tests, is that there was a real question as to why why is this information collected in the first place? Like one of the, the company called Better Me, basically whatever data you entered, they promised you you would reach your ideal weight within a month. And sometimes we would, you know, try and enter completely absurd, you know, weight. We would say, okay, I'm 75 kilos and I want to be 25 kilos. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, even if that means you're going to die because no one can survive at 25 kilos, that's still fine. We'll, like, get you there in a month. And also, like, even if we were entering weight, you know, weight gain, they'll like, be like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you there. Like, whatever data we're entering, they were like, yeah, we'll get you there in a month. And, you know, there's a real question of, like, well, if whatever the data we enter, they can, you know, make us reach the ideal way in like a month. And why are you collecting this data in the first place? When we engage with this company around the publication of the report, there were some changes that were made. So one of the companies, well, better me, set up an alert so that like when you enter a dangerous weight, they actually tell you that like, well, maybe you shouldn't do this. That doesn't sound healthy. They base themselves on the WHO data on uh, what's considered a healthy BMI, which is also a questionable practice. But anyway, but uh, the fact is, you know, they still allow you, even if they give you an alert, you can still go ahead and do it mm -hmm. and get like a diet program for this completely absurd weight you would have entered. And yeah, also what we've realized recently is that Noom has stopped sharing the data with Full Story, but they now share it with Facebook, which is far <laughs> from being better. But that will be released in a future report. Would it be fair to say that essentially what is happening is these companies are advertising to people, which is putting them in a more vulnerable situation, making them you know, more likely to engage with dubious diet programs that could be psychologically and physically damaging and in that process exploiting their, the data of those people by sending it to third parties for as yet unclear reasons. Some of those third parties are then using that information to target advertising and create this kind of horrible circular process. That's exactly this. This is like the double punishment that we wanted to illustrate in our report is that, you know, at Privacy International, we're not like health expert. We're not diet expert. It's not for me to look at like this company and say, 
well, you know, those companies are bad. Like they offer you like the interest diet. Like, I don't know, this is not my expertise. This is not for me to comment. Although I am saying some of them look pretty dodgy. But <laughs> what we are saying is that whatever the quality of the products that are selling you, there is a reality, which is they are potentially preying on people suffering from eating disorders and adding to that the reality that yes they are collecting their data they are exploiting their data and uh yeah and putting their privacy at risk so i mean it seems like the platforms that you've been targeting daniel could do quite a lot <laughs> fairly simply to step in absolutely i mean i've, I've seen it as i said i, I work um in the area of multiple sclerosis and that is bans on all of these platforms to prevent uh, medicines and treatments being advertised that people affected or living with multiple sclerosis and yeah there's even like attempts at safeguarding people with eating disorders on a lot of these platforms and it's mentioned in quite a lot of their policies that they're trying to protect them but there's so many loopholes and these companies are exploiting those loopholes and it just so happens that I went after the social media platforms because that's a journey I went on. But it's the companies who are at fault for exploiting these loopholes. And Noom is a big one of them. Uh, they're, they're, I'm constantly being bombarded by them. And it's actually funny, this summer I was at a wedding and I came. I was talking to someone on the dance floor and they actually um, were in charge of worked for the advertising agency and now the account holder for Noom's adverts <laughs> on social media. And my face just dropped and I, I could tell they thought, felt very awkward. And I, unfortunately, it wasn't the right place to talk about it. But yeah, it was quite a weird experience for me, um, having been bombarded with these adverts and triggered by them for so long. Definitely the best place to challenge <laughs> <laughs> I always feel so personally affronted by the quiz ones because they're so perfectly designed to like lure me in because I love a quiz and BuzzFeed and like other platforms have really trained me that the thing I want to know more than anything else is the outcome of a quiz that has judged me mm. They know everyone loves a quiz. Everyone loves like being told like, oh, this is your body type and this is going to be the perfect diet for you. They make you feel like you're special they make you feel like oh we have a special program for you that's designed specifically for you that's going to answer all you need and especially when so many people who have experience with diets with diets that are failing with diets that leading them to like worsening problems in their life being told okay that's just because you didn't find the right format the right diet for you and we're going to find it for you because we have this little test and it's going to be great and it's going to take into account all you need of course it's appealing even if you're not thinking seriously yes i am going to spend like 90 quid on this like ridiculous diet program because this is usually also crazy expensive even if you're not going to go all the way you're still going to be like oh yeah let me do the test because doing the test is free and then I will see about like actually signing up to the program. But, you know, this is a win-win for them as well, because even if they haven't actually sort of like hooked you in, even if they didn't get your credit card details, well, they would have still like gathered your data, gathered your email address. That's like all this information that they still have on you. It sucks. Yeah. 
I feel bad for trashing the same company, but um, <laughs> other terrible companies do yeah, exist. <laughs> they do exist. But I was just say a company. Um, one of the adverts I got quite a lot on YouTube was this topless man um, presenting me with a, a pizza and a salad, saying, "Hey, you can actually eat this pizza and lose more weight than you would with this salad." And it was like really engaging and really caught my eye. And like even like now, this is like two years later. If I'm like eating a pizza or making it at home, I think about that advert and it really like set a trigger in me where I was like, it's just ingrained in my brain forever. And it's just, it's, and that's, I've been in a lot of recovery. I mean, I'm doing therapy at the moment because of um, some of the struggles through lockdown. So like, I've got a lot of help and tools and resources around me. And I always just think back to like myself when I was younger and when I was at the height of my eating disorder, I got turned away from NHS help at the doctors because I was a male and my doctor didn't believe that men could get eating disorders. I got turned away from various different support systems because of my weight and they said that I wasn't thin enough even though I had bulimia, which doesn't mean I'm going to be thin. So I relied on online tools and resources to help me recover. Like Being online was my safe space. I was in support groups through Facebook. I connected with people online. And like all these places now that were my safe spaces are now just infiltrated by these adverts, like the one I said that's saying, hey, how about you go and eat a pizza instead of that salad and still lose weight? Which, you know, just if that had happened to me when I was really on that start of thinking about recovery, I don't think I would ever have gone down that recovery path. And it's just they need to be held accountable for how dangerous they're being. Really interesting what you pointed out about social media and how you've chosen to focus on social media because like in the recommendation we're making as well is for social media company because on the one hand it is difficult to ban certain ads just because when you're online you're not always sort of like logged in and we wouldn't want to create more of a system where people have to be logged in and that you know we wouldn't want to create sort of like more targeting so to speak mm. because even being able to say well i don't want to see those ads in order for those ads to be hidden from you that would imply sort of that more targeting has happened but the reality is that when you're using a platform like you know instagram twitter facebook or much of google actually much of google rely on like you being logged in into your gmail account for example uh in so far as you're logged in already you should be entitled to say i don't want to see those ads anymore mm. this should be as easy as this and you know we are realizing this for example for a woman who you know have had a miscarriage that maybe they don't want to be like permanently targeted with like baby stuff ads well, it's like what? people, and not just people with eating disorders, but like all sorts mm -hmm. of people might say, well, I don't want to be pestered all the time with ads about weight loss and diet programs, even though they claim to not be diet programs. Like, I don't want to see any of this. I don't want to see like half naked men telling me I can eat pizza and not salad. Like we should have the right as... Insofar as we're logged in to those platforms already, we should absolutely have the right to say, well, I you know, don't want to see any of this. This is what PI is asking. Feels like there's, there's already been a mountain of evidence that social media platforms and advertising-based platforms and advertising companies put people way behind profit. And it's a perpetuation and another example of how horrific the consequences of that have been. And why it's long past time for those companies to be 
forced to make reasonable, like reasonable changes that any reasonable person looking at them would go, well, that's common sense, you know, that seems easy. And they're, and they're sitting in the background going, well, actually, and it's like, come on, come on, mm. what are you doing? But yeah, like, is there anything else anyone wanted to bring up or cover? I, I just wanted to mention, because Daniel had quickly mentioned this, but yeah, one of the, the steps we're hoping to take is to have more conversation in the UK with the Advertising Standard Authority, because I think there is a massive gap at the moment in uh, the regulations for ads that are happening offline versus the ads that are happening online. And so, for example, the reason we decided to start engaging with the ASA in the UK is that we think they've done a fantastic job regulating advertisement offline. And so, for example, there's been a lot that has been done on making sure that you can't have sexist ads. But also, there's something very simple before the whole conversation around sexist ads or diets and so on, is that you're not allowed to advertise for, like, pardon my French, but like bullshit products. You can't sell, like, you know, (laughs) fake medications and so on. And so it's peculiar to me how easy we can be targeted online with some platform that seems dodgy to say the least compared to how regulated the environment is when you're offline and so for example i remember a couple of years ago there's like absolute outrage around this ad in the london tube that was called like beach body ready and everyone was you know rightfully outraged like well, what does that mean like any body is a beach body that that is ridiculous and so we we have this sort of like very valid outrage for an ad that was in the tube. So why aren't we more outraged with, you know, the toxic, sexist, you know, uh, fat phobic ads that we are constantly seeing online, that this is the conversation we we want to have with those authorities to see, well, what can we do to, to make this better? Why why are we putting so much effort in regulating ads offline? And why is there so much tolerance for for what's going on online? It's a good flipping question. <laughs> <laughs> and arguably, the GDPR has a role here. It's just a mm-hmm. question of what role, where. But awesome. Okay, cool. In which case, I think if that's all of the things, then we can say thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. We really, really, really appreciate your time. No, thank you. And I'm just going to say one more thing is that um, you and your organization honestly came into my campaign process at just the right time because back earlier this year, I'd just done some more media and I had been given my fourth statement from Facebook and Google saying that I was misinformed, I don't understand, that um, it's not true. And I just got to the point where I thought, do you know what, am I making this up? Am I just like obsessed with this advertising that I'm just making it up just for the hell of it? And it really was like threw me off. And then um, when I saw your report and saw what you were doing, it was just incredible to see that actually there are other people out there who can see this happening, have stronger evidence than I have and um, can really help. So yeah, it's been a real pleasure being involved in this and collaborating. Um, and hopefully we can make a difference. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. In the description around this podcast, you will find all the relevant links, including Daniel's petition and our report looking at diet companies. Remember, we're running a survey to work out how we can improve this podcast. 
We want to know what you think, so please go to pvcy.org slash tpsurvey and let us know. You can like and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use. The music is courtesy of Sepia. This podcast is produced by Max Burnell for Privacy International.